The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Mm, investigate prior to contempt. I wonder how many of us need to learn that lesson. Uh, welcome to Walking Through the Big Book uh, with myself and, of course, our good friend Chris Schroeder here at Take12Radio.com on your internet dial. How you doing, Chris? Great, Monty. How are you doing tonight? I, I am doing uh, I'm doing very well. It's, it's, it's raining like cats and dogs out, and it's nice and cozy and warm. We finally got the heaters to work here in the studio, so I'm just as happy as can be. <laughs> it is nice to have a warm uh, building to work in. Instead of the, we had it down to what was it like forty something in here for a couple of days. Ugh. Well, that that is brutal. <laughs> hey, listen. Um, before we start into uh, today's today's venture in uh, walking through the big book, we are for your uh, convenience here, folks. We are on uh, the chapter into action. And we are on page 80, the uh, the, the uh, second paragraph. Uh, while you're looking that up in your big books, <clears throat> um, Chris, you uh, you gave me a little homework assignment, and uh, and I and I did complete it. Uh, Chris asked me to uh, perhaps find out what some folks thought what recovery was, and so what I did is is I chaired a meeting uh, uh, today, and that's what the topic was. What is recovery. Are you ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> I believe me, believe me, Monty, I am ready for it. I'm okay. kind of expecting it, but go ahead. All right. Some of these aren't too bad. Some of them are really interesting. Um, number one, the serenity prayer. Number two, should I just go ahead and read these down the line? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Okay. The serenity prayer. Two, staying true to myself. Uh, three, looking forward to today. Four, uh, the problems on page 24 and the solutions on page 25. Actually, I kind of like that one. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, five, not isolation, smiling, living life. Six, you're sick, you get better, you recover. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of like that. This, this one gal says, well, you know, you're sick, right? You get better and then you recover. You know, and everybody looked really confused when she said that. Um, seven, recovery is change. An ongoing process. Eight, dying from alcoholism, coming to AA slows down the process. Nine, what I see in others. That's what recovery is. Um, ten, putting the plug in the jug. I thought I was going to die when I heard that one. Uh, it's, it's, sorry if anybody's listening that said that. Uh, Eleven, working the steps, spiritual drano. Uh, Twelve, you never recover. 
that's not what I asked, but <laughs> 13, uh, uh, recovery can be compared to allergies. I always have mine. Hmm. 14, being comfortable in my own skin. 15, realizing there is hope. 16, restored family relationships. 17, a process of staying in and finding happiness. 18, recovery, recovering, recovered, whatever they meant by that. What is recovery? Number 19, recovering the things I've lost. Um, and the last one was, well, the next before the last one was, um, I don't try to analyze this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Monty. You know, some of those aren't even bad. If no, they're not if, bad in and of themselves. If, if they come from uh, a specific perspective of, of of an individual, but really, what what you're getting there is you're getting a different a different answer from every single person. Almost. Can I read you this? Uh, let me read you this last one. Sure. All right. It's a little wordy, but I'm I'm going to read it anyway. The application and implementation of tools, i.e., the steps on a daily basis with the purpose of directing a person to a state of being recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body by the power of God. You know, that's probably the, the closest to one to write that, uh, that, that you've read. But, you know, uh, when, when, I'm, when I think about uh, addictive illness, when I think about alcoholism, uh-huh. There is just so much confusion across the board. Yeah. There's confusion from the people in treatment centers. There's com- confusion from the general public. There's confusion from people in the 12-step uh, fellowships. You get a different answer to every single question from every single person. Now, let's let's say that there was 30 people in a room who were all uh, diagnosed and under undergoing treatment from cancer. Most of their answers would, would be pretty similar because they would have paid attention to the process of the illness and the process of the treatment and the process of the recovery. That doesn't seem to happen in alcoholism or, or, or addiction treatment. What seems to happen is a, a, a lot of people don't really understand uh, recovery. A lot of people don't even think it exists. They think that you're, you're, at, you're absolutely sick forever. And you know when when you when you think about the general misunderstanding out there uh it's it's pretty scary because we've talked many many times uh, and we we've, we've said and this is backed up by millions of statistical studies that addictive illness is the number one health threat in the country and the people that have it are not really paying attention yeah. to the illness and what that means and the recovery process and how you engage in that, mm-hmm. and that's 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 really sad. I, I mean, I mean, I I believe that in this book there are numbers of promises. Before the end of the show, I think we're going to touch on uh, the ninth step promises, and these material these promises materialize if we work for them, if we participate in the maintenance of our spiritual condition by by utilizing the tools and steps that are provided to us, they, they bring about basically a new consciousness, uh, a, a new way of thinking, a new way of acting. It, it's a revolutionary personality change at depth. You are reborn. I mean, that, this is the terminology that this book uses. And that really is what recovery is. And so many people, when you ask them what recovery is, they shortchange not only everybody else, but they shortchange themselves. Yeah. You know, recovery is only putting the plug in the jug. 
Now, there's a lot of jug pluggers out there. <laughs> and, you know, we've made the case many, many times that they may be heavy drinkers and not even realize that they're not really alcoholic. Um, uh, and that's, that's, you know, that is throughout the 12-step fellowships. There are people with power, choice, and control. When they decide to plug that jug on up, you know, they do. Yeah. <laughs> then they wonder, wonder about the people who are having a tough time keeping that plug in the jug. And what they don't realize is the, is, uh, the difference between the heavy drinker and the alcoholic, the difference between uh, the drug user or abuser and the, the drug dependent. And they don't realize, uh, they don't get deeply enough involved in this text to understand what needs to happen, what the person needs to participate in to get to that state called recovered. And, you know, it's it, it's the only illness I know where very few people know what's going on who have it, you know. Yeah. That really is kind of sad. Well, you know, Chris, I, I, I uh, was listening to some of these, and I realized uh, when the first person said, well, I, I really... I, I've been I've been in uh, I've been in this program for some time now, and I still don't understand it when people say they've recovered. And I thought to myself, you know, you can really tell who's been reading their their book. You know. <laughs> well, there's two problems with that. The, an individual that says, uh, you know, I've been in the program a long time. Yeah. Right there, that's a tip-off that they don't know what they're talking right. about. You're yep. not in, in the, the program. program. Yeah. You're in the fellowship. the fellowship. The program is in this book, and if you're working this book like a textbook or have worked this book like a textbook, you have worked a program. If you have not done so, you don't have what is known as an Alcoholics Anonymous program. What, what you have is, you know, uh, fellowship-based sobriety. Which, yeah which is an incredibly far cry from what, what is available. What's available is the state called Recovered, which has something like 180 promises, significant, life-changing promises that are available, but they don't just happen because you sit in a chair somewhere. I mean, you know, if you go, if you go and sit in a PTA meeting, does it make you a parent? You, right. You know, if, if you sit in a chicken coop, does it make you a chicken? Uh, there's there's a process involved with this that really, you know, uh, that I I think I think if you're in real trouble with alcohol or you're in real trouble with drugs, the absolute best use of your time would be to move through this book fearlessly and thoroughly, actually doing what it tells you to do. Because uh, when that happens, rarely have we seen a person fail who, who has thoroughly followed our path. Rarely have we seen a person not have incredible life-changing uh, uh, life changes to their quality of life. Sure. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And, and, and well, you, you watch people. You watch people, and you can tell when they're moving forward, when they're standing still, when they're moving backwards. I mean, you can, it, it becomes obvious to those of us who have been there, and sometimes I wonder who we think we're fooling. Somewhere along the line, it became politically correct to use the fellowship um, as, as $1 group therapy. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I think that might have been a little bit of it, 
in the early days might have had to do with that. You know, uh, newcomers would would bring in their problems and discuss them, and and uh, you know some of the experienced members would uh, would show them how to apply uh, the steps to those problems uh, to to be able to solve not only the problem. Uh, but uh, the causes and conditions of uh-huh. the problem. You know, you're not just treating the symptom; you're treating the underlying lying cause and condition. But but to just to just show up um, at a meeting and update everybody on your drama du jour uh, <laughs> of the week is is futile at best. It, you know, it may be a, it may be a way some people who aren't really alcoholic or, or aren't really drug dependent. Uh, can kind of improve their life and feel a sense of a social sense of uh, belonging. You know, th- there may be some really good characteristics uh, involved with with some people, but but if you're using that as a defense against drugs or alcohol, you know, showing up and Bob Newharding with everybody else, right? You ain't gonna make it. You ain't gonna make it. You're not. You're not gonna be able to stay around. And certainly, the time and the place is gonna come when a series of circumstances are going to bring you to a place where suddenly the thought crosses your mind that a gallon of vodka would be really great after this meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that has happened to countless, uh, countless of us who have tried easier, softer ways, which would be, you know, a Bob Newhart type uh, group therapy, throw a dollar in the basket and complain uh, type of sure. softer, easier way. I am, uh, I, 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 Chris, I, I, this is one of the reasons I believe so much in what we're doing with this show. Um, I find it heartbreaking when I see somebody get a sobriety coin for two or three years and they've never cracked the book open. I find that absolutely heartbreaking. You know, we talked about this before. It's, it's almost like, you know, have, having a critical illness and sitting in the waiting room and just talking with other people with the same critical illness, you know, week after month after year, and never going in for the treatment. It, you know, that would be completely insane, wouldn't it? Sure I mean, would. They would, call, they would call the psych unit if you were to try to do that. <laughs> but so many people just miss that there's just such a general misunderstanding. And, and that's, why, that, that's why, you know, if you're looking for a sponsor, if you're looking for a spiritual advisor, find somebody who's who's really qualified with this with this book i mean who who really has experienced what's uh, what's offered in this book uh, not only are your chances better of staying separated from whatever drug or or uh, or booze you know you're you're powerless over but but you're going to get you're going to get to a place where you're going to actually start being able to have your life recreated you know when somebody you were mentioning when somebody goes up and gets a coin you know a lot of times, uh, a lot of times in certain uh, in certain fellowships, um, they'll ask the question, "How'd you do it?" Yeah, and and they'll start telling you how they did it, how they keep themselves sober. Right there, they've missed the entire point. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't keep yourself sober. If you could have kept yourself sober, you would have done a better job of it by now. Right. You're sober. You're sober under the grace of God, and you know what? The grace of God lasts as long as ignorance. As soon as you understand that you need to participate in this process in this book, you can find that you can, you can find that you're not accessing that that grace that's available very well, and yeah. and you can, you can end up uh, back in the gutter or back at the cop band's house. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you bet. You bet. Good stuff. Well, I think you stirred the pot a little bit. I hope people. I like I like when that happens because 
when you stir the pot, the aroma of what's brewing gets passed around. <laughs> and if you've disturbed the alcoholic about their condition, this is all to the good. <laughs> that's, a, that's a quote out of working with others, I believe. Oh, that's I'm quite, great. I'm quite fond of using when I get somebody upset by drawing their attention to the fact that they're in more trouble than they think they are. <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather step on their feelings or step on their grave? Yeah, there you go. You know, sometimes sometimes you have a choice. Anyway, we were we we went about halfway through step nine, uh, the last uh, the last session. We talked about how to approach the man we hate. Yeah, which is the the the, the burning resentments. You know, we, the 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 people that we just never want to see, or if we're walking down the street and we see them coming our way, we cross over. Or the people, if we could get even without getting caught, we would do it. You know, those are those are uh, those are examples of uh, the man we hate, uh, or the the person, institution, or principle with whom we are angry. Then, then it talked about um, most alcoholics owe money, and there were some really really good uh, instructions in how to face your creditors, what what you need to do to keep from getting drunk again. Uh, because if you are afraid to face your creditors, you are you're you're pretty for sure going to get drunk. And why is that? Is it, it's bec- it's because we we need to participate in the maintenance of our our spiritual condition. We need to help fortify our spirit. It, there's things that we can do as far as our participation in recovery, and there's things that God has to do. But if we aren't doing our part, they're just it seems to be very, very difficult for God to do God's part. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're going to move on now. This is the top of page 80. Uh, this brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money, and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. And so often, that's the case with us. The first thing we think about, with our ego defends uh, having to go out and make amends. You work with anybody, especially on their first set of amends, and they're going to come up with any number of reasons why they can't or shouldn't do this amends. And I'll tell you what, there's a bunch of sponsors and spiritual advisors out there that give you a pass on amends. Because yeah. probably they haven't done them themselves. They never really got deeply involved in them. They, they uh, acquiesce to half measures as far as you going through amends. They are shortchanging you. They are they are robbing you of incredible value because there is nothing that puts muscle in someone's sobriety and in someone's recovery than uh, than a really thorough a really thorough demonstration with these amends. Mm. If he had opened the, uh, that old affair, uh, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, remember, we must seek people's consent if they are going to be involved or could be uh, could be affected neg- negatively. 
Um, so he consults with his wife and his partner. He came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. There is something unbelievably magical about doing everything you can to clean up your past. That makes the connection so much clearer with God. You know, figure figure prior to immense what you're like is like you're like a staticky radio. You're trying to tune in a station, but you can't quite get it because the station is too far away, and you can't really hear because there's all this static and all this background noise. You know, you get through a men's, and it's like having cable radio. You know, <laughs> you go right to the station, and everything is really, really clear to you. You've you've opened up that intuitive capacity in your spirit, where you understand right from wrong, and and you know uh, you know which direction to take, and you outgrow fear, and and you, you're not angry anymore, and and it, there's just a million promises that come true, but you're focused. You gain focus from not having all this garbage in your past. You know, there's a, there's a pretty good book out there called Drop the Rock. And the book is basically uh, basically covers uh, step six and step seven. But I think you're really dropping the rock when you finish your amends. You know, you're not carrying around a, a knapsack filled with rocks anymore. You're able to move forward free and clear into the future. Mm. He saw that he had had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. Now, placing the outcome in God's hands is something that's sometimes difficult for an alcoholic. Uh, we want these people sometimes to like us again, and that's not the point of making the amends. Right. The point of making the amends is to, is to make a demonstration, to, to do your utmost to set right the wrong. You're not supposed to worry about the outcome. If you get thrown out of the office, if they hug you, you should be about as concerned with either one of them. Uh, the outcome needs to be placed in God's hands. You're the one, though, that has to ask for the strength and the courage to go out and make these amends. Uh -huh. Because if you don't, and you really are alcoholic, or you really are a drug addict, if you don't make these amends, the time and the place is going to come when you're going to put drugs or alcohol back in your body. That's a promise. You can't allow a whole series of unfinished amends to exist with you for the rest of your life in recovery. It will, it will corrode your recovery and your spirit, any unfinished amends. You'll just, you'll just never, you'll never be free. And you know, Chris, people have said I've heard this said meetings before that that uh, when this topic has come up about amends uh, and this this step is that uh, we we make our amends not for the other person but for ourselves, and that gives me the heebie-jeebies when I hear that, um, and because I, I I truly believe that the people that we have wronged uh, they more than deserve an amends from us. You know, you know, yes, on a level, we are doing these amends for survival. If yeah. we have a clear picture of step one, we recognize the fact that if we don't fully place ourselves under God's care and protection, and that means making amends, sure. we are going to drink again. So, so there is a little bit of, 
selfishness in there. Yeah. Selfishness for survival. But we're to we're to to the best of our ability set right the wrong. Yeah. You know, the worst thing in the world is for an alcoholic to think they're doing amends when they're running around apologizing to people. You are not making amends when you're running around apologizing to people. You're just you're you're just confirming with them that you're sorry. You're a real <laughs> sorry you're a sorry son of a gun is what you are. They already know you're sorry. Yeah. You know, how many times have we said I'm sorry? What what they need to see is an actual demonstration of your willingness to set r- right the wrong. If it's paying back money, then you pay back money. If it's admitting, uh, if it's admitting that you were wrong, then you admit you're wrong. You, you know, if you've wrecked somebody's car, then you you figure out how you work with them on how much that was, and you start a payment plan. Uh, I, I mean, you know, you, you do your utmost to set right the wrong. Running around saying you're sorry, that might make you feel good for a week or two, but but without a full demonstration, uh, what's going to happen is is your spirit's going to become sick again. Sure. You have a spiritual spiritual illness. That's really what alcoholism and drug addiction is. It's a, it's a spiritual malady, and we need to do our utmost to to help um, to help that heal. And we've got our part, and God has God's part, and our part is to, to follow these directions. Here is a beautiful example of somebody who, who, uh, who uh, prays for willingness, prays for courage, and goes and does a real heroic thing. Now, the guy we just talked about, what he did was he took a whole bunch of money from somebody. He didn't give him a receipt. And then when the guy wanted the money back, he said, you know, you never gave me any money. And then started spreading all around town. This guy's trying to hustle me for money. And he destroys this guy's reputation and his business. Now, that's a pretty tough one to climb out of. Let's see what he did. He attended the church. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. He said, this is where I was wrong. His action met widespread approval, and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. So he got up and he admitted he was wrong and that he would do his utmost to set right that wrong by paying back the money and and admitting to anyone he needed to admit to that this other guy had been telling the truth. And he did this in front of a full congregation at a church. Now, when you make a demonstration like that, your ego is going to tell you, I am going to be ruined. I am, you know, I am going to be destroyed. I am going to look small. That's rarely what happens. Uh What happens is these people see, they see an unbelievable desire to change and become a different person and to be honest and forthright and try to set right the wrongs. And all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, most people will now view you as trustworthy, honest, spiritual, uh, the type of pe- the type of person that they can feel comfortable with. You know, these are all really, really good things. It's just our ego that's going to want to tell us, "Don't do this! Mm-hmm. Don't do this!" And there's a lot of sponsors out there who've never experienced this, so they'll tell their sponsees, "Don't do that." <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's near criminal because anyone anyone who's gotten through uh, amends anyone that's gotten through amends they would never tell you not to do this 
they would tell you it's the most significant thing that they've ever done for themselves. Mm-hmm. The only people that are going to tell you not to do this are people who haven't done it themselves. Right. You need to under you need to understand that. So if you if you have a sponsor or a spiritual advisor that's giving you a pass on this, you know they're they're co-signing your own disaster uh, as you move forward. So uh, so again. Yes, yeah, sometimes you really have to pray for the courage. Sometimes you really need to look at step one. Sometimes you really need to look at step three. Have I really made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God? Because if, I, if I've really made that decision, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to place the results in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, ultimately, none of us do this perfectly. A lot of us do this with a lot of trepidation. Uh, but the ones that do it, the ones that do it, get the promises that get read on the wall. You know, the the 12 promises? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, they materialize when you do this step. They don't materialize because you're sitting in 90 and 90. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Yep. Now, domestic troubles. Uh, many of us have had domestic troubles, haven't we, Monty? Oh, yeah. Uh, I can think of one major golf player right now who's having <laughs> domestic troubles. Yes. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally worse uh, than major league golfers. But drinking (laughs) does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. Now, the... the, uh, the uh, pa- the patriarchal verbiage in here. If you're a woman, just change it around. Just change it around. A husband uh, could get worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative yeah, yeah. in the same situation. Uh, how could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. Here, here is basically where the instructions start for stepping out on the missus. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. Here, here would be somebody who, uh, who is really ex- inexperienced with men going up to his wife and saying, Honey, you know the four babysitters that we've had over the past three or four years? I've had affairs with all of them. Boy, I'm, I'm glad I got that off my chest. I mean, you know, and now how is the wife going to feel? We, we don't do these amends to harm anyone. We don't do these amends when they cause additional grief or suffering. So they're basically saying, if someone doesn't know, should you tell them? Probably not. Because what real good would it do? Well, except make you feel a little bit better. And we don't do these amends so that we feel better. We do these amends to set right wrong. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. 
So yes, I've been wild, but a lot of times they're going to want with who, with who, you know. I I know you've been cheating on me. I need to know who it is and where they live. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, that's not it's not fair to give those details because what you're doing is you're involving other people. Yeah, she may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be some justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found that this is the best course to take. Our design for living is uh, not a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. Again, everything important in this book, Bill says three times. And he (laughs) told you three times there that you are not to give out names and numbers. See, I can see see the wife. I can see the wife saying, you know, when uh, uh, I'm playing devil's advocate here, that we say that we, we don't feel we should involve another person that the wife said well you involved me and i didn't know about it you know i can i can hear it, it's kind of like my son's karate class they tell him okay when you come up against this situation this is what you do but nine times out of ten that isn't the situation you're going to come up against and so what do we do about that i mean the the wife will not let this thing lie well, that you know, that is going to happen. I, I, I'll give you, I'll give you a situation out of, out of my experience. I was working with this guy, and he had had he had had some affairs, and it was, his wife kind of knew, you know, that he was stepping out. I mean, you know, they they usually do, you know, coming home at eleven at yeah. night, you know, saying that you were at work, all that kind of crazy stuff. And basically, during the ninth step, he did not listen to me. He did not listen to me, and he told her the people who he had affairs with. Uh-huh. Now, this was fifteen years prior. What this woman did was, because she was an attorney, she put a lawsuit together against these three women. And basically, the the premise of the lawsuit was having unsafe sex with her husband could have resulted in her getting a disease Mm. or getting AIDS or whatever. So she was going to file a civil claim against these people and actually did. Now what happened was what happened was these women were remarried a long way away from their relationship with this guy, yeah. and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, uh, court documents start coming in the mail. They had to they had to now involve their husband. Now the, you wouldn't believe the damage that this caused. So, you know, was it right for him to tell her? I don't think so, because it, it caused other people damage. Now, uh, you know, if you're going to have to live with somebody that's just not going to let it go, then you're going to have to live with somebody that's not going to let it go, or you're going to need to make a decision to, to separate. Right. You know, those are your choices. Your choice is not to tell her what she, she wants to know, because we're being told right in this book, that we shouldn't do that. Now there may be justifiable exceptions, but the really the rule is, the rule is is to not involve other people, not not cause other people harm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. 
Let me say this again. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Remember, the wife is supposed to be going along with this 12-step process, if you can get her to. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with the most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face combat. If we have no such complication, there's plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. <clears throat> That's one of the saddest things I ever hear mm-hmm. in, a, in a ninth step meeting, where somebody says, you know, I make amends just by staying sober. Uh, certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't, but he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience of mothers and wives we have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have had no homes today and would perhaps be dead. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, I, I mean, I've got to tell you, Monty, I was, no, I was no prize before I started drinking. But as I started drinking, I became progressively uh, progressively more and more dysfunctional, bordering uh, at the end on violence. And, you know, uh, uh, my, my, first, my first wife, what happened was she left uh, in 1981. She took the kid, the dog, the car, the money, and got out and never came back. And for many, many years, I really thought, Monty, I really thought she left me when I needed her most. Mm-hmm. No, I had just lost a job. I, you know, and, and I painted this picture like she abandoned me. Okay. Yeah. Well, when I started to get involved in the four, in the in the fourth step, and I started to seriously look at the fourth column, and uh, and uh, the sex inventory, and answered those questions in the sex in- inventory. You know what conclusion I came to? What's that? She would have been crazy to stay with me. It was in her best interest and my, and my daughter's best interest to pack up and go. And I, I, I am grateful that they did, because they might have saved themselves some horrific, horrific problem. Uh, I, I, I was capable of practically anything in my blackouts, especially if I was angry when I was drinking. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so you know, I understand that that uh, we're tornadoes. We're tornadoes, and we tear through everybody's lives. And we get sober, and we still have that foundation of selfishness and self-centeredness. And we really think that they, you know, they should lay off. I'm getting sober. You know, <laughs> don't they realize that I'm going to meetings? They should start treating me better. And and in this, all that comes from a place of selfishness and self-centeredness. You got to understand, you made your family emotionally ill. You robbed them of emotional security. You robbed them of financial security. You made them feel a lot of times that everything was their fault. There, It says right here, yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. 
we must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be, may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible or mostly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in, me, in prayer and meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. That means that you need to start treating your family in a completely different way. You are not to talk about their faults or their defects. You are to ask God every single morning for patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love toward them. You should be a completely new dad or a completely new mom after you've gone through this step. Now, we, every day we fall short in word, thought, and thought, and deed, but there, there are steps that we can take when we slide backward, when we make mistakes. But, you know, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead, and we owe it to them. If we've torn them apart for 10 years, you know, don't we owe them 10 years, you know, putting it back together? One of the worst things I see, one of the worst things I see in the 12-step in the fellowships is somebody has ripped their family to hell over a 20- or 30-year period of time. They get sober, they're going to the Bob Newhart AA meetings or, or NA meetings, and all of a sudden they meet, you know, a, a little cutie pie, and they run off with them. You know, mm-hmm. that is the exact opposite of what they're talking about in these events. You, you know, uh, uh, I just feel more comfortable with somebody who's in the program, you know, and, and they run off with some, some newcomer or something. There's, there's no more gargantuan a sin than that. And they, they leave the family without any means of picking up the pieces because there's not somebody, uh, somebody taking the lead in the spiritual life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our word. Dr. Bob used to say, you know, I always carry the message to people, and when necessary, I use words. You know, your actions are so loud, I can't hear a word you say. Yeah. And and that is the absolute best way to carry the message, mm-hmm. is to carry it mm-hmm. as a changed individual. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. Um <clears throat> I've done a number of graveside, uh, graveside amends uh, uh, for people who have passed. Uh, I've done a number of amends for people who have disappeared. What I do, uh, Monty, is I write a letter, and I go to a place where I feel that their spirit is the strongest. could be a graveyard, could be, uh, could be some place that I have good memories of them, and I read the letter out loud like I'm reading it to them, and then I either burn it or I bury it. <clears throat> and I've had unbelievable experiences with those type of uh, of amends. Um, and there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. You know, postponement is tricky. Um, I'll tell you what, if you're planning a trip to California, you have five amends and your trip is in a month or two, I'll cut your break. I'll, I'll let you wait a couple of months. Um <clears throat> But if you're if you're saying I can't make amends because they're in California, that ain't good enough for me. 
you know, start saving your money for a ticket. Uh, you need to go out and make direct amends. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. This is another instruction. Be sensible, be tactful, be considerate, and be humble. But you don't have to be servile or scraping. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't have to take a lot of, uh, a lot of abuse uh, from, from somebody in a continuing manner. Yes, they may need to blow off some steam at us in, in the amends process, but if they're not going to let go, and we've done our utmost, you know, we do, we do not have to be anyone's doormat. We don't need to be servile, and we don't need to be scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. Amante, you ever been to a meeting with the 12 promises up on the wall? Or <laughs> yeah. go to a meeting where they read the 12 promises? Yeah. I, I wouldn't even mind it if, if they said uh, the, these are, these are the, the steps that uh, should materialize for you before you're halfway through with the ninth step. Mm-hmm. If they would put them in context like that and let you know that there's also promises for every other action step in this book. Right. But what they do is they shortchange you. They say, these are the 12 promises, and they don't tell you how to get them. You know, so, so there's actually people sitting there waiting to get them through osmosis by sitting in meetings, and they don't get the promises right away, and they figure, they figure that whatever group they're in doesn't work. You know, so yeah. it's, it's not a really good process. But here we, here we go. These are the nice step promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, what phase of our development? Making amends. If we're painstaking about it, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. Halfway through with what? Halfway through with our amends list. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Why quickly? Because you go through the steps quickly. Why slowly? Because you go through the steps slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. This this set of promises, <coughs> excuse me, is referred to uh, most of the time that I that I've experienced as the promises uh, that occur occur because of all sorts of things. I very rarely hear hear that they are associated with amends. Is that your experience? Uh, most, I would say, ninety percent of the people in uh, in fellowships are. Are uh, are unex- inexperienced with the text to the point where they they don't. If you were to ask them the question, um, "How do you get those promises?" they would they would give you any number of answers except uh, make make at least half of your amends. <laughs> yeah. So so there, there's uh, like a lot of other things in the recovery process. There's a there's a general misunderstanding. You, you bet, and I and I'm I'm, I'm hearing what people a lot of people are saying are, are doing. You're saying they hear that and they say uh, like at the close of the meeting, 
we read the promises. Okay, well, so if I just keep coming to meetings and I put the plug in the jug, then these promises will come. And that's not the case, is it? Uh, you know, there'll be some changes. If you stop drinking, there's yeah. going to be some life situation changes that are going to get better, usually the external. What, what you deal with in the recovery process, though, is you really deal with the internals. Mm-hmm. And, and by sitting sober in, in 90 and 90, a lot of externals will get better, and you'll think those are the promises. Uh. That's what the payoff is. And again, you will be shortchanging yourself. This is, about, this is about repairing your spirit. A spiritual awakening is, is a spiritual awakening. So if your spirit awakens through this process, what, what do you have before it? You have a, a spirit that's asleep. Mm-hmm. You're walking around asleep thinking you're awake. Mm. And, and that's, really what, that's really what it was like for me. I look back on the 80s, Monty, uh, which was my big drinking decade, and it's all a blur. I mean, I was asleep on every level you could be asleep on. <laughs> And I only started to understand a little bit about life and a little bit about relationships and a little bit about spirituality when I started to get involved in these steps. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to probably finish off with the spiritual appendix in the back of the book. But it basically says, you, you know, there's two basic types of spiritual experiences. One of them is the sudden, drastic, white light kind that Bill talks about in his story. And the other one is the one that it, they call um, the, the spiritual awakening of the educational variety. And I think what the educational variety is, is it's when we, we painstakingly work uh, our way through these 12 steps and uh, we, we participate in the awakening of our spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking the other side of the coin is that there are people that work, 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 work so hard and... Uh, um, they never they never experience either one of those things because they're still looking under under their own power. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there are people that get off on tangents. There's there's wonderful things available in the fellowships. There's a lot of service. I mean, you can become a GSR and then you can be the DCM and then you can then you, then you can be a delegate and you can work your way up to trustee and you can be the coffee maker over here, you know, you can you can be the treasurer over there and you can start rehab commitments and go to jails, institutions. I mean, you can get really really busy with service work. Um however, however you know, the people that do that prior to going through the steps I really worry that they aren't carrying the message of recovery. I think they're carrying the message of sobriety when they do that. So you can put a lot of work in into in, into your program, if that's what you want to call it, and it's really not putting work into your program. It's putting work into the service legacy, or it's putting work into uh, into the fellowship legacy. It's not putting work into the recovery legacy. Mm. And I think everything should really start with the recovery legacy. In mm-hmm. the early days, they wouldn't—they didn't even want you in the meetings, if uh, if you if you weren't at least you know really really trying with the steps. They didn't consider that you had an honest desire to quit drinking if you weren't working the steps. You know, somewhere along the line, it became it became okay in most of the fellowships out there to not work the steps, and that's you know that's 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 a shame. It that's really sad. it really is a shame because. Um, 
because the uh, the recovery statistics could be infinitely superior to what they are right now. Yeah, if, that's for uh, sure. If you had experience, if all there was was experienced sponsors and experienced spiritual advisors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Well, we are out of time, and uh, it, as a matter of fact, this is a good place to wrap it up because we are about to embark uh, next week on to step ten. In fact, it literally says at this point, this brought. Or, I'm sorry, uh, this thought brings us to step 10. And uh, so, folks, uh, you don't want to miss out on that. Remember, you can play this show over again. Uh, what we're doing, Chris, is uh, what I've uh, decided to do after thinking about some of the things that you and I have talked about is uh, we, we're going to um, offer the first three shows uh, as an MP3 download at no charge um, when, uh, when this thing is completed. And uh, then... Uh, if folks would like to uh, participate uh, in uh, in receiving the the entire set, uh, what we're going to do is uh, right now we have 19 shows that includes this one, and uh, right now we um, we want to put these on uh, MP3 DVD and uh, sell those as a as a package set. We want to do that with with every episode that we do of this walking through the big book, but uh, the first three. Are, uh, are on us, and we'd like to send those to you. If you would like those, uh, just email us here at take12radio at comcast.net and let me know that you want the first three shows of Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder, and we will send them to you via yousendit.com. You'll get those in your email. And that brings us to the close of uh, another fine show. Chris, I, uh, I hope you have a, a great rest of the evening. As always, it's three, you're three hours ahead of us. And uh, so, what are you? What are your plans for the rest of the night? Uh, I'm hearing dinner plates clinking. In the next <laughs> room. Uh, I think I'm going to go eat. All right, my friend. Thank you so much once again. All right, take care, money. All right, Bye. folks. Don't forget to come back uh, next week because once again, with Chris Schroeder and myself, the Monty Man, we walk through the big book. Bye bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. (laughs) 